here before we get into the message here. Um, for those of you who were here last Sunday, we did this kind of fun little thing that we did at the end where all of you got $50 to take home with you um, for the purpose of not eating your seed, but to plant that seed someplace and just listen to the Holy Spirit as his prompting. And you have 30 days to do this. Just take that, that $50 bill wherever you are and just listen as the Holy Spirit would, would give you that, that kind of prompting for you. Now, here's the thing. People have been asking me all throughout this week, and we've already been hearing stories, which is fantastic. So make sure you email me your stories of what, just what happens, what, what was going on, why did you feel impressed to do this, um, what was the interaction, and how you felt about it afterwards, or any other information you have about it. Um, but one of the things that people have asked throughout this week is really related to how do I know if that person's in need or not? Listen, this is not about an issue of need. $50 is not really going to help that much in a person's if they need finances. It's the issue of you listening just to the Holy Spirit's prompting, and you may not know whether they need it or not, but what you're saying is, hey, I just wanted you to know something, and I, I want to give this to you because I, I felt like God wanted you to know that he is there with you, whatever you're going through, and he sees you, and he loves you, and this is just a tangible thing to do. So don't get distracted about money in this. This really isn't a money exercise. It's you simply listening and planting a seed where you go. You don't have to be in a hurry. Somebody was all anxious that they felt like I had to get done by today. No, no, no. You have 30 days, so we still have three more weeks to do this. So take your time. Just carry it with you. That's the whole point. Carry it with you so that you can respond. You're praying and you're looking for that opportunity to be able to do that. Does that make sense, everybody? Then make sure you email me your stories so we can share those because we're kind of just scattering these seeds all over, and so we'd love to be able to share those in some way. If you get your Bibles out, please, we're going to kind of, we're finishing up this Sunday and next Sunday. We'll do something special next Sunday. We're going to do another 5 by 7 next Sunday, um, but we're finishing up our series that we started about eight weeks ago that we called Better, and the reason why we've been doing this, this series, because I just think at the beginning of the year, it's a good time for us to evaluate how things are going on in our life and to look at this next year and how things can be better this year than they were last year. Well, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, but I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away. For if I may not go away, the comforter will not come unto you. And if I go, I will send him unto you. And so Jesus was saying life would be better for his disciples if he left and sent them the Holy Spirit. And so we've been talking about this whole, this whole passage here, because what does the promise of this something better mean for you and for me today? What does that promise mean? That's what we've been talking about throughout the series. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That word helper, in the original Greek language that this was written in, is the word parakletos, which means comforter, intercessor, advocate, one who comes alongside of. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to come alongside of you as your advocate to cause your life to be better for you to live your life beyond what you could ever do in your own strength and your own ability. And Jesus was so excited for us to be able to receive the Holy Spirit, for us to actually be able to interact with the Holy Spirit. And so over the past eight weeks, we've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about how the Holy Spirit is not just some mystical or impersonal force that's out there in the universe, but the Holy Spirit actually is the very presence of God here on earth. 
And he's someone you can know and come to love and trust, who wants to talk with you and who wants to show you things that are absolutely wonderful for your life. And we've been talking about how we can't really live effectively as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit working in our life. It's the Holy Spirit who causes our life to be better. It's the Holy Spirit who causes us to be able to live in the greater than that Jesus said that God had for us. And so every one of us, we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. The problem, and we've kind of talked in and out of this throughout the series, is that so many of us either haven't been taught about the Holy Spirit, we have an understanding a little bit about God, a little bit about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is kind of, you know, I don't know, I don't know about this. Or, you know, he's just so mystical or out there. And if you read your King James Bible, it gets even stranger because it's referred to as the Holy Ghost. And so we've been talking about is, is this like Casper the Friendly Ghost? And so we just, it's kind of a hard thing when we're, we're trying to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so I think there's just a lot of things that are confusing. I think there's a, even a lot of negativity and, and controversy surrounded even the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to talk a little bit about that here this morning, specifically about this phrase, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. How many of you ever heard that phrase before, the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Now, how many of you ever heard that phrase in some sort of way that's controversial or some sort of negativity attached to it? Any, any of you there? Boy, both hands there for me. There's, there it tends to be so much controversy and negativity even associated with the phrase, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And when you think about it, I, mean, I don't think we, any of us should be surprised that there's so much controversy and negativity associated with the Holy Spirit. And the reason is because the devil knows more about the Holy Spirit than you and I do. And it's, it's, I think Satan's worst nightmare would be to see God's people walking in close friendship with the Holy Spirit and walking in the power that the Holy Spirit provides us because that would mean there would literally be, be millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of Christians walking in the footsteps of Jesus and undoing all the destructive works of the devil in people's lives. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Listen, everybody, this is what happens when people are empowered with the Holy Spirit. And so to me, it's just no wonder that the devil would try to create someone's controversy and negativity around the ministry and the methods of the Holy Spirit. And so today, I want to try to clear up some of that confusion in regards to the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the reasons why there's so much confusion is simply the fact that the Bible describes actually three different types of baptisms. And this is one reason why I guess it gets confusing, is because we hear, the, we hear baptism a lot in the New Testament, and there's actually three different kinds. The word baptized in the original Greek language is the word baptizo, and that means to cover wholly, to engulf completely, to bury, to submerge, to overcome in thought or feeling. And so the first of the baptisms that's talked about in the New Testament is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Make sure you circle, underline the prepositional phrase of, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This baptism is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, which says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Now notice, notice the grammar that's used in the verse. Notice the preposition that's used is the word of. And that word of, Webster's defines to mean 
through the agency or the instrumentality of. In other words, by, this by refers to who, the who, who is doing the doing. That's what by refers. So it's, it's the who who is doing the doing. So who is doing the baptism here in these verses? It's the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit that's doing the baptizing, which means if you've been born again, if you've been saved, if you've made a decision to follow after Jesus, it's only because the Holy Spirit drew you. It's only because the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sinful state. It's only because the Holy Spirit made you aware of your separation from God. And so when you responded to the wooing of the Holy Spirit by choosing Jesus, the Holy Spirit then did the supernatural work of regeneration in your spirit, causing your spirit to come alive and new now and for eternity. And at that moment... You became a part of something that's much bigger than it yourself. You became a, a member of what the, Paul talks about as the body of Christ. Romans 12, verse 4 and 5. He writes, just as each of us has one body with any members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so when you experience salvation, when Jesus comes into your life, we're baptized into that same body, the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the agent. He's the one who then baptized, does the baptism. In other words, the way you become a member of the body of Christ is by the Holy Spirit baptizing you into it. This is the first baptism that's talked about in Scripture, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the second baptism that the Bible describes occurs then after salvation, and that is called water baptism. And so the first is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is salvation. Then the second baptism occurs after salvation, which is called water baptism. And all the, of all the baptisms, I think this is the one that most people tend to be familiar with. It's what Jesus commanded us to do in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's water baptism that he's talking about here. It's the same thing that Peter told those 3,000 people at Pentecost when they began asking him, so what do we need to do? And, and Peter responds this way in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the, and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is water baptism. Water baptism. And I think this is the one that most of us are familiar with. All the baptisms, this is the one that's most familiar. But even though I think so many of us are familiar with water baptism, I still think there's a lot of controversy that swirls even about this baptism as well. And the confusion about this baptism really is all in the questions. And the first question is the question, Why? Why do I need to do this? Why do I need to be water baptized? I mean, if I don't get water baptized, does that mean I'm not saved? Does that mean I'm not going to heaven if I'm not water baptized? And then if I have been water baptized, does that mean I'm good? Does that mean I'm, I'm going to heaven because I, I was water? I mean, why is this so important? And then the second question that swirls about this baptism is the word when. When do I need to do this? In other words, is, is it good enough that I was baptized as an infant in my parents' church? I mean, or do I have to be baptized when I'm adult? When is this supposed to happen for my life? When do I need to do this? And so it's in these questions 
I think there's so much confusion, even though there's familiarity, I just think there's a lot of confusion in regards to this baptism as well. And the reason why I think most of us really don't, why there's so much confusion, is because I just think most of us, we really don't understand what water baptism is actually about. It's just something, maybe the church told you, or told your parents to do this, or maybe you were told to do this, and so you did it. But I think so many of us don't understand what water baptism is about. And the reason why we don't understand it is simply because we don't understand the impact that the world has on our lives. One of the things that when you read in Scripture, you always have to remember that there are three kingdoms that God contends with. you got the kingdom of heaven, you got the kingdom of hell, and you also have the kingdom of this world. There are three kingdoms that are addressed in Scripture. Salvation, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, deals with the issue of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of hell. And so when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you've addressed those two kingdoms. And now your eternity is set. Is set. But what water baptism does, it addresses the third kingdom, the, ki- the other kingdom that still has weight in our lives, and that is the kingdom of this world. Look at this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Do not love the world. For anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then what another scripture, James 4, verse 4, it says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so one of the things that we need to understand is that God is not only interested in saving you from an eternity in hell. But he's also interested in saving you from this world because this world is in God's judgment. God, God, this world is under the judgment of God. That's why there is so huge ramifications when a person is water baptized. Even though you may not see it, there's huge ramifications. There's two huge implications that happens when we're water baptized. I think the problem is here in our American context we don't always see those implications or those ramifications. There's a great book out there called, um, that was written by Watchman. He called A Living Sacrifice. And he quotes some amazing facts in regards to different religions of Judaism and Hinduism and Islamism. And he says this. He says, Judaism persecutes the baptized. Among the Jews, a person may be a secret Christian without being persecuted. The greatest difficulty with many hundreds of thousands of Jews is not in the believing of the Lord Jesus, but rather in being baptized. Because once a person is baptized, he's liable to be cast out and disowned. He goes on and says, Hinduism ostracizes the baptized. In India, no one will lay hands on you if you remain unbaptized. But as soon as you're baptized, you'll be ostracized. It's as if the world permits you to have eternal life but stands against anyone being baptized. And then he says this, Islamism um, murders the baptized. The reaction of Islamism is more severe. It is rare to find a living Mohammedan who has turned Christian, for Muslims kill those that do. Among the Mohammedans, those who believe must immediately be sent away, or else within two or three days after baptism, they will be murdered. See, in our American context, most of us don't experience that thing. But when we're being baptized, what's happening is you're making this public declaration where you're saying, this world is no longer my home. I belong to Jesus. I was talking with this with Mark and Sophia Karras, who are the, the Polish pastors. Maybe you've met the last couple of weeks, um, who um, who've been staying in, in our home for the month of February. 
And we were talking about this because this is actually something that they experienced. And they shared this a couple weeks ago in their own story. Um, because in Poland, to be Polish is to be Catholic. And Catholicism is a bit different in Poland than it is here even in the United States. And only 0.04% of the population in Poland is actually believers in Jesus Christ, Christians. Um, and so when, for them, when Mark and Zophia had this, the, the drawing individually, that drawing from the Holy Spirit and the revelation of who Jesus was and made a decision to follow Jesus and not a religion, and then were baptized as adults, immediately all their friends and families ostracized them and really disconnected from them, and they still experience this today. We, here in the United States, usually don't have that sort of reaction, right? In other words, we can make a decision to follow Jesus, and then we do water baptisms, and you can make it a public celebration, and it tends to be something that's celebrated. You're not condemned by it. You're usually not ostracized by it. And for sure, you're not killed because you got water baptized. But don't you think, don't you think, if you knew that the possibility existed that if you were water baptized, that you would take that step a little bit more thoughtfully, if you were, if you were going to be killed as a result of being water baptized, don't you think you would think about it just a little bit more? In America, we have what's called easy believe, believism, right? You can believe whatever you want, and there's not a consequence to it. And as a result, this issue of water baptism ends up having very little impact in our life because we're really not addressing this issue of the world and the world's impact in our lives. It's the essence of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, when he said, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Verse 33, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether the plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Water baptism is that tangible, physical act that actually addresses this. Here in America, we tend to not see it, nor do we tend to have that revelation. It just kind of tends to be some sort of religious act. And so that's, as a result, it never has the impact that's supposed to have in our life. The water baptism is supposed to be this very thing where we make this declaration, this world is no longer my home, I belong to Jesus, and I'm willing to leave everything in order to follow him. This is the second baptism that we're supposed to experience, which then leads me to the third baptism, and that's in the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Look at what John the Baptist said about this in Matthew 3, verse 11. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now look in this verse, because who is John the Baptist referring to when he says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire? Who's he referring to? Now notice this, this one's Jesus. Jesus is the one doing the baptizing here. The other three Gospels say the exact same thing. Mark chapter 1, verse 8, I, that is John the Baptist, indeed baptize you with water, but he, that is Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3, verse 16, um, John, that's the Baptist, answer them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then the last of the Gospels, John 1, verse 33, which says, I, that's John the Baptist, did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so all of the four Gospels are saying the same thing. They're emphasizing the significance of this baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so again, who is doing the baptizing here in these verses? It's Jesus. Jesus is doing the baptizing, but what is he baptizing us into or with? It's the Holy Spirit. Notice, this is different than the first baptism that we talked about. Because remember, the first baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit who's doing the baptizing. And it's the Holy Spirit who baptizes us into Jesus. That's salvation. That's when the Holy Spirit draws you to the revelation of who Jesus is. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism with the Holy Spirit, the third baptism, it's different. Because the baptism with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the one baptizing us then into the Holy Spirit. And it's this baptism that's filled where we get all the power that Scripture then talks about. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word power in the original Greek language is the word dunamis. is where we get the, the word dynamite. Isn't that interesting? And you shall receive dynamite. It's like your hands, you get, you're going to have this power, this dynamite power that now is going to work in and through your life. And what's so interesting is when you see this happen for the original disciples, these were the same men and women who were cowering and hiding from the officials when they then received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Their lives changed in extraordinary ways. And all of a sudden, these cowardly people became, become bold to the point that almost every one of them are willing to give their life for the gospel. That's how much it changed their lives. And everybody, this same baptism is for us today. That same power through the Holy Spirit is something God wants to give every single one of us. These are the three distinctive baptisms that's written in Scripture. Now, if you're like me, I always want to know, want to know a little bit more. So what does this mean for me? Okay? It's fine, Pastor. You tell me the different three. But what in this world does that have to do with me? I always want to answer that question for you, because I want you to think about us. I want you to think about the significance here, because do you remember what were Jesus's final words that he gave to his disciples? Most people think it's that one, the last two verses of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey, observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so this feels like it's the last words, it's the commissioning that Jesus is giving to his followers, and in this commission are the first two baptisms. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's water baptism are all written into this commission. And it certainly seems like it is his final words because it says amen at the end, right? So it feels like this is his, his final words. But these are not the final words that Jesus gives actually to his disciples. Jesus' final word of instruction to his followers were not a go, but it was actually a wait. His word, his last instruction was not to go, 
but actually to wait. Luke 24, verse 49, said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from an eye. The word tarry simply means to wait. These last words are repeated in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy, the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with the water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's those words again, baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the third baptism. The baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus' final words to his disciples were for them to wait to receive this third baptism. The baptism with the Holy Spirit before they were then to go and fulfill the commission. In other words, Jesus knew and understood that without the power of the Holy Spirit coming into their lives, that all this simply is is just a philosophy. All it is is an ideology. All it is is a religion, which then would make you as a Christian no different than a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim or any other spiritist out there trying to follow a way. But Jesus said, no, no, this is not what this is. There is power behind this. And so he was saying, don't try to go out and do what I've instructed you to do, all these things I've commissioned you to do. Don't do that without this power. So Wait. Wait, because if you just go out there in your own strength, nothing of significant lasting effect is going to take place. So wait. Wait for this baptism with the Holy Spirit to come on you so that when you go, there's power that's filled with it. So I want to ask you an important question. And that is, have you experienced all three of these baptisms? Because they're distinctive, right? Right? There's distinctive, there's three baptisms that Scripture then talks about. In other words, with the first baptism, have you been saved? Have you, been, have you experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized into the body of Christ? That's the first baptism. In other words, just simply, have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Because the Holy Spirit is drawing every single one of us. But have you actually done it? See, you can go to church your entire life and still miss this one. You know about God, you know about Jesus, you know a lot of churchy things, but you still haven't invited him into your life. Here's the great thing. Wherever you're sitting here in the sanctuary here today, you can make that decision right now. Because all that simply is, is you just ask. You ask Jesus to come into your life. You make a decision to follow him. You say yes, you surrender your life. I want to follow you. I want you to lead my life. You can do that right now. And the Bible says very simply that we'll just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For all, Scripture says, who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so when you do that, then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit does the supernatural change inside of you that starts this journey with God. Because now you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You've been taken out of the kingdom of hell into God's kingdom. And now you have access directly to God. This is where the adventure starts taking place. God working then in your life. And now you become a part of this incredible family. What, what Paul talks about is the body of Christ, the, the family of God. And now life really gets interesting. For some of you, You've taken this step. This is the, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've taken this first step in your relationship with God. Some of you have already done that. 
But the reality is a lot of people just stop with this first step. They've, made, they've asked Jesus to come into their life. They've made a decision. Salvation happens. They've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Your eternal destination has been settled. But a lot of people just simply stop there. Listen, everybody. There's even more that God wants to do in your life. Yes, thank God your, your eternity is set in motion. That's a wonderful thing. But listen, it's not done yet. You're still here on planet Earth. It'd be great. I think this a lot of times. It'd be great. You make the decision, and, it's, and life stops here on Earth, and you're in heaven. I would like to bypass some of Earth here, if possible. But it doesn't happen that way. God keeps us here. Gary's lives must be perfect out there, because you must think you, you like this world. <laughs> it is an interesting thing. I think about this. Because our grandparents' generation had this revelation more than most of us in this generation. You know why? Because life was hard. I tell you, we, we talk with Mark and Sophia, life's hard. They have a revelation of heaven. A lot of us, we, just, we, we really like this world, which keeps us really from addressing this, the second baptism, which is water baptism. And really making that profession, I'm leaving everything, I'm letting go of this, of this world. That steps you into a whole nother step in your relationship with God. And so simply, I just want you to simply ask the question, have you really been water baptized? Now, a lot of us were baptized by our parents, which is fantastic. That's wonderful. But listen, that's not what the scripture says about water baptism. That was your parents' faith. And thank God for your parents' faith who wanted to dedicate you to Jesus. Thank God for all of that. But that's not what this is doing about. Because it's talking about your personal will of making a decision. I, I, Russ, make a decision. This world is not my home. I belong to Jesus. My parents can't make that decision for me. And so it's great if you were baptized as an infant, but that's not what Scripture talks about in terms of the second. This is when you, after you made a decision to follow Jesus, that you make this declaration, I'm going to deal with this third kingdom, the world's kingdom. And if you haven't done that, or if it was only done to you as, a, as an infant, I want to encourage, I want to challenge you, take the next step. Because there's even more that God has for you when you step into this, this second baptism of dealing with this issue of the world. We always do this um, at Easter time, the Sunday after Easter we do a great celebration of water baptisms. And so if you've not been water baptized as an adult, let me just encourage you to do it. Step forth in that. Step into that, sec that second baptism here. Um, we do it always at, as a combined with all the One Chapel campuses down at One Chapel Austin. We do it Sunday evening. Um, you can find more information there on the website. You can also sign up for that as well. And so that's, that really is the second relationship, the second step in your relationship with God. But just as with that first baptism... I think so many of us then stop after the second baptism. You finally get through one and two, but then we stop. Hey, everybody, there's even more. There's more that God wants to do in and through your life. As great as these first two baptisms are in our lives and the implication and the effect that it has in our lives, there's something even more that God wants to do, and it's with this third baptism, baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so that's simply the question, have you personally experienced the baptism with the Holy Spirit that brought personal power, personal revelation, and personal help then into your life? Because if not, then you're just trying to do this Christian thing in your own strength. And as wonderful as your willpower is, when it gets directed towards God, it still is not a good substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. 
that causes natural to become supernatural. We start stepping in to well, the, the greater than that Jesus said that our lives are supposed to be. And so if, if you've never experienced it, then it simply is, is just ask the question. Ask Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go any further in terms of what does that look like? How is that supposed to be? How am I going to respond? Just simply start with that. You want more. You want all that God has for you. And then just simply ask Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. With, that whole, with the Holy Spirit, with power, with all the help that he wants to give you. Next Sunday night, we're doing this kind of worship night where all the campuses are getting together. And we're just calling it a Holy Spirit worship night. Cause simply because we're not very good at names. You know, but just it's kind of just coming together because Paul says we need to, he, he says as a camp command, command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting verbiage there because it has every kind of article of verbiage that you want to use there because not only is it a command, but is this continual thing, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We leak out the Holy Spirit so quickly that we need to quick, continually be filled. So no matter how much that you've experienced the Holy Spirit, there's still more. There's still more for me. There's still more for you. And so all we're doing is just coming together, seeking God, asking God just to fill us more with his spirit. This whole series for me, and I want you to, want you to hear this and understand this. So this whole series that we've been doing, really I'm talking about the ins and outs of the Holy Spirit. This to me was not for informational purposes. You have enough information. I don't want to just give you information. But my whole purpose in doing this series was really for transformational purposes. Because we need God. Every one of us, we need more of the Holy Spirit. You need more of his interaction in your, in your life. We need our Christian life to be filled with power. And there's no way for you to step into the better that God has for you. There's no way that you can step into the greater than that Jesus said that we can have without the working and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so my goal hasn't been just to satisfy your curiosity or just to give you more information. My goal has to try to stimulate your hunger for more. That there's more that God wants to do in and through our lives. And so if you would, I want you to just close your eyes here. As we're kind of finishing up. But I want you to just, right where you, right where you are, just begin to, to open up your own hearts and, um, to this, this whole issue of, of the Holy Spirit working in our life. And, and just ask the question, do I need to receive the Holy Spirit? Because remember, Jesus told his disciples to wait. To wait in that upper room, to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that God had promised, to wait for the power that would come with the Holy Spirit so that they would then be effective in their witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and really to the ends of the earth. And so do you need to receive that power? Do you need to receive the Holy Spirit? Do you want to receive the Holy Spirit? Because if the answer is yes, then all you need to do is ask. Just ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Just invite the Holy Spirit right where you are to come into your life and to fill you with his power. You don't need to ask with expectations of what you think that will look like. Just, just simply ask. Just ask for him to fill you. And so right where you are, would you just open up your heart to him? Don't allow maybe abuses or misuses that you've seen in the past cause you to ask with fear or any sort of hesitation. Just in the same way that you receive Jesus in faith, just open up your heart and receive the Holy Spirit. 
Just ask God to fill you. So, Father, all across this room, individually, as well as corporately, as a group of people, Father, we're just asking for the more, the more of what you have. Step into all that you want for us and to do in us. So would you just, with every one of us, would you just begin to fill us more with your, with your presence, with the Holy Spirit? Would you just fill us just afresh and anew with your Spirit? Father, we're asking that you would not just baptize us with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're not just asking for that baptism with water, but we're asking as well that you would baptize us with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That you would fill us. Even as we are getting ready to leave this building and to go and to step into our call and purpose, to step into that commission to go into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and into our families, that we wouldn't go just in our own strength and our own ability and our own willpower but that we would go with you filling us with power. And so we just simply ask, God, fill us. Jesus, would you just fill us here? Whether it's for the first time, the first time in a long time, or just more, would you just fill us more with the Holy Spirit here today? We're going to take communion here together. The worship team is going to lead us as we do this, and so I want to just continue just to, in this attitude of asking, just asking him just to continue to work in your life, and we have two tables set up here. We celebrate open communion, which simply means this. You don't have to be a member of this church to celebrate communion. We do this together, and so if you've asked Jesus to come into your life, then Jesus is the one who set this table for us. There's two stations up here, and how we're going to do this is just start with the front row and go all the way all the way back what you're going to do is you're going to exit into the middle aisle and then you're going to come forward and if you would just take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice on the sides are our ministry teams and they're just here to pray with you to pray over you and so they may just lay their hands and just ask God to fill you to bless you if you want to grab one of them and and hold on to them I want you to pray this with me or they're going to be there to do that as well. So if you would stand up on your feet and let's do this here together. Hyde came out to me when we were taking communion and I want him to share what he was seeing and to listen to this. Um. I saw um, individuals in a house, in a building, uh, and they were, um, the Lord was at the door, like in Song of Solomon, uh, beckoning them to come outside. His hand was on the latch. Um, and as the door opened, um, in the frame of the door, there was a brick wall. There was a, a stone wall of some sort. And I saw two things happening. The Lord was dismantling that wall, uh, and the individual in the room was dismantling. They were working from both sides to allow 
this person uh, or multiple people to go outside and experience the world uh, in, a, in a greater and bigger way. And the other thing I saw um, during worship was as Annalise was singing and Hayden, was, everyone was playing, I could see physical notes coming out of their mouth and into the atmosphere and off their instruments. And then what I saw was um, fire enter the room at about a 10 foot high. You know, it wasn't destroying anything. It was just the presence of the Lord. And I feel like it was the, the worship was inviting his presence. And then like lightning strikes, the firewood dropped down uh, to the ground in, um, by invitation, essentially, by invitation. And it, I didn't uh, read ahead in the notes. <laughs> I didn't know what Russ was going to speak on, but I saw that during worship. Amen. So the reason why I had him share is because, you know, I think a lot of times we come into a service like this and, you know, you may or you may not have an awareness of what's happening around you. Um, but you need to always know God is working. And uh, th that picture, the, the two, there are, I think, two very profound pictures. You know, one of this, this, this door and, you know, Jesus inviting you to come in and all these things that are just are, are there, they're barricading your way that you just feel, I can't get through. You need to know that Jesus is right there and he's working and dismantling those things so you can step into what it is that he's drawing you. You need to know that he's doing that in your life. And, you know, the other is just has a great visual, you know, as, as we are worshiping, just, just seeing the, the presence of God, even in the, in a, in a, in, in the vision of this, this, this fire that's above. And, and then as you ask, you know, him just coming and, and doing something in you. And, and so I, I wanted you to be able to hear that because whether you ever feel something or sense something, he's working. And what we do when we come together is that we're just simply saying, yes, God, just whatever he wants. Just continue to say yes to what he, what he wants to do in your life because his presence is here. He actually promises wherever two or three are gathered, I am there. I'm there with, I'm right there in the presence. And so his presence has been here all, all morning and continues to be. And it's just a question of what, what are you going to pull on him? The ministry team are going to stay up here in front and just to be able to pray with you. I always want to make sure you have the opportunity that you don't just come, that you don't just sit there and hear something and then leave, but there's something that you really need God to do in your life, to move something forward in your life, or you're facing some different things where, you know, as Hayden and Annalise were sharing in, your, in their own lives, that these men and women are here just to stand with you and really release, as, as Jesus said, what is in heaven here into this earth. You know, to come the kingdom of God as we see it in heaven here on earth and be able to release that in your life. So they'll just stick around here. And so I'm, I'm going to ask everybody just to kind of do your conversations out front because I think there's something that God is, is doing here and I want to be able to honor that. And so if you'll do your conversations outside or in the foyer, we'll do the welcome party in five minutes. So at 11.01, we'll start the five-minute um, welcome party right up there, just that five-minute party. Um, and so I want to invite all of you who've never been to one to come there, and they'll just stick around here and pray with you for whatever it is. All right, let me just speak a blessing over you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.